This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. It can be a zoo out there. Somewhere along the line, things got pretty weird in the world of crime, and that's saying a lot. Sadly, it's not enough anymore to be just a regular everyday criminal. To make it to the top of the game these days, you have to think outside the box. And just when authorities think they've seen it all, they're reminded that no, they really haven't. In April 2018, a disagreement between two men in Bridgeport, Connecticut turned into something so odd that, at first, police had trouble believing it. In fact, if the circumstances hadn't been so serious, it might have been difficult for them to keep a straight face. It started on the evening of April 5th, when 30-year-old Isaiah Garcia accused another man of owing him money. When the man refused to settle the debt, Garcia came up with a plan. Not one to take no for an answer, he incapacitated the man, tied his arms and legs together behind his back, and placed him inside a human-sized plastic bin. Garcia hauled the bin into his car and drove the short distance to the town of Shelton, Connecticut. He checked in to a hotel and dragged the heavy plastic box to the room. Garcia then told the man he kidnapped to call anyone he could think of to get the money. The 21-year-old decided to call his aunt and, after explaining that he'd been kidnapped, asked her to send Garcia the money he was demanding. He went on to tell her that if the money was not received quickly, his abductor had threatened to start burning him. Fortunately for the victim, his aunt took the call seriously and contacted the Bridgeport Police Department. Authorities had no idea where he was being held and had little information to go on. Their plan was to locate the kidnapped man by tracing the call, but for that to happen, they would need to keep the caller on the line for as long as possible. So, when the aunt's phone rang a short time later, detectives were ready. This time, it was Isaiah Garcia on the other end when the aunt answered her phone. While he once again demanded the ransom money in exchange for her nephew's release, police were in the background getting closer and closer to pinpointing his location, but they needed more time. That's when the victim's aunt asked the kidnapper for a picture to prove that her nephew was unhurt. Garcia told her to wait. A moment later, a text message arrived with a photo attached. When detectives opened the message and saw the picture, they were shocked. The image showed the kidnapped man hogtied and lying face down in the huge plastic bin. This was a relief to authorities, as it did appear that the man was alive. What really concerned them, however, was the alligator standing on the man's back with its mouth wide open. The three-foot-long reptile was looking right at the camera when the shot was taken, rows of sharp teeth clearly visible. Garcia said that he would let the gator start chewing on the man if he wasn't paid. As unbelievable as the picture was, it did buy detectives enough time to trace the call. It only took minutes for police to swarm the residence in in Shelton, but when they stormed the room, Isaiah Garcia and his victim were gone. They did, however, find Garcia's girlfriend in the room, pet-sitting the alligator. The kidnapper had, apparently, taken his captive for Chinese takeout minutes before police arrived. When they returned to the hotel parking lot, authorities surrounded the car, and Garcia was taken into custody without incident. 
At this quiet hotel in Shelton, police say a man was being held captive with a knife and an alligator. Bridgeport police say it's a bizarre kidnapping. Yeah, yeah, not, not the brightest. Our detectives then worked with the FBI to track the victim's last known cell phone location. Police say the victim and the alligator are now safe. So many questions with that one. Isaiah Garcia, meantime, still in jail on kidnapping and assault charges. He previously served time in Texas for robbery. The victim was treated for burns to his face and arm before being reunited with his aunt. It seems Garcia wasn't bluffing when he said he would burn his captive if the ransom wasn't paid. So, did that mean the gator wasn't a bluff either? Fortunately, we'll never know. What we do know is that the reptile was taken into custody and charged with being surprisingly photogenic. Okay, so maybe it wasn't charged, but it was taken into custody by Connecticut's Department of Environmental Protection and safely released back into the wild. Unlike his exotic pet, Garcia, on the other hand, was not released. He was held on $250,000 bond and charged with numerous offenses, including first-degree kidnapping, extortion, assault, and unlawful restraint. In January 2019, Garcia pleaded guilty to first-degree unlawful restraint and faced up to a year in prison. So, you're probably wondering, how much was the ransom? It must have been a lot for someone to go through that much effort. Garcia had demanded $800. Welcome to the jungle, welcome to the... Welcome to the jungle, welcome to... Welcome to the jungle, welcome to the... Welcome to the jungle, welcome to... My name is Eric Crosby. Welcome to True. We've all been there. You're driving around when you suddenly realize that you haven't eaten all day. Before you know it, you're waiting in the drive through line at a fast food restaurant. Creeping up to the first window, the glass parts, and there it is. The glorious smell of fried food. By now, you're so hungry that lifting the paper bag of hot goodies is challenging, but you find the strength. Excited beyond words, you drive back into traffic and dig in. But wait, the fries, they're freezing. The burger is cardboard, and the drink is flat. You drive back and give the person at the drive through window the bag of inedible food, hoping that round two will be the one. A hassle for sure, but mistakes happen. You might throw a frustrated look into the drive through window, but for most of us, that would be the extent. Then came 24-year-old Joshua James from Jupiter, Florida. On October 11, 2015, Joshua James pulled up to the drive-thru at his local Wendy's. It was around 1.30 a.m. when he placed an order through the two-way speaker for a large drink. Driving around, he stopped and rolled down his window. The attendant had her back to him, so didn't see when he reached over to the passenger side. She was still preparing his drink when he turned around, holding a three-and-a-half-foot-long alligator. Joshua then threw the reptile through the window and into the fast-food restaurant. The drive through attendant thought it was a plastic toy, but when the creature started to move, she understandably freaked the f*** out. As the gator moved into the kitchen area, her co-workers started to freak out as well. 
It didn't take long before authorities were on the scene. They found the alligator still hanging out in the Wendy's kitchen. Police secured its jaw with tape and safely released it back into the water a short time later. Then, they focused on capturing the guy that did it. Police started with surveillance cameras around the area, hoping to find some leads. It didn't take long to find some interesting footage at a nearby gas station. The cameras showed a man matching the description of the suspect in the parking lot, and he was acting strangely. At one point, the driver can be seen quickly exiting the vehicle, not through the door, but out the open window. He is then seen closely watching something moving inside his car. Not long after the surveillance video was taken, cameras at the Wendy's spotted the same car pulling up to the drive-thru. When police found Joshua James a short time later, he admitted that he was responsible for the stunt. He told officers that he found the alligator while driving around and thought it would be a funny way to give something back to his favorite restaurant. His misguided generosity, however, was not appreciated. He was arrested and charged with illegal possession and transportation of an alligator, aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, and petty theft. In February 2016, a judge decided that while Joshua did not have to serve any jail time, he was forbidden to own any weapons, had to avoid all animals with the only exception being his mother's dog, and was ordered to undergo a mental health examination. Not surprisingly, he was also banned from ever stepping foot inside a Wendy's restaurant again. What do you think about the charges that are against you right now? I mean, that's obviously, that's not a joke. Yeah, no, no, it ain't a joke. Have uh, you talked to an attorney? No, no, I haven't. What did the Wendy's worker say when he threw that gator? Um, I don't know. He took off. I think uh, one of the guys in the car just heard her scream. Um, didn't see a reaction, though. We kind of just, like, threw it in and took off. So, yeah. so the, the person you threw it at was your friend or no? No, no, it was a different person. Do you have anything to say to the people at Wendy's? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sorry for what I did. I mean, you know, just being stupid, not thinking, and obviously I found out what the consequences were, and I got to pay for them, so, yeah, all the stupid stuff that I think about doing is over with. All things considered, the alligator that flew into the popular burger stop was pretty small. That type of gator can grow to be as long as 11 feet and weigh close to 800 pounds. Try throwing that into a drive through window. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. It's not just alligators used in the commission of a crime, but reptiles do seem to be the most popular. In the pre-dawn hours of May 7, 2020, a young married couple was sleeping soundly inside their home in India. Sleeping in the bed with them was their one-year-old son. And there was something else. 
In what can easily be described as most people's worst nightmare, a snake managed to find its way onto the mattress. It wasn't just any old garden snake either. It was an Indian cobra, a highly venomous snake that can grow anywhere from 3 feet to over 7 feet long. The snake quietly slithered through the sheets until it found the boy's mother, 25-year-old Uthra, fast asleep. It struck her twice, unleashing venom so powerful that she would be dead within an hour or so. The snake then left the bed and would be found later curled up underneath a nearby dresser. Incredibly, her husband and son were not attacked and remained undisturbed as they slept. The next morning, her husband woke up and left the room with her son, apparently oblivious to the tragic event that unfolded overnight. It wasn't until her parents tried to wake her later that morning did anyone realize that Uthra was not breathing. After rushing her to the hospital, doctors confirmed that she had died hours earlier and began a thorough examination. They quickly discovered the snake bites, but interestingly, they also noticed a separate set of bite marks. It was clearly another snake bite, but this one had mostly healed. In other words, the young mother had been bitten by snakes on two recent occasions. The snake bite in itself was not all that uncommon given the area of India where the family lived. Almost 60 people over the last six years were killed by venomous snakes in that region alone. So it could have been easily overlooked as anything more than a terrible accident had Uthra's family not gone to authorities with an interesting story. On March 2nd, 2020, about eight weeks before her death, Uthra had been bitten by another of India's so-called Big Four snakes, the Russell Viper. Growing as long as five and a half feet and known to be aggressive, this type of viper inflicts more lethal bites than all other venomous snakes. In the days leading up to the first snake bite, Uthra discovered a snake under a staircase inside their home. She later told her parents that her husband grabbed the snake by hand and threw it outside. She said that over the following days, she noticed the snake still hanging out around the property. At around 8.30pm on the evening of March 2nd, as she walked up the path to her house, the snake was waiting and attacked. Its fangs dug in, and a significant amount of venom was unloaded into her bloodstream. It was enough that, if left untreated, would have killed her. Yet, Uthra wasn't taken to the hospital for almost six hours, and when she was finally brought in by her husband, she wasn't doing well at all. It would take seven long weeks of painful treatment before she was discharged from the hospital, but Uthra was alive, and, best of all, she would fully recover over time. That was on April 22nd, and she was moved from the hospital into her family's home to recuperate. Two weeks later, on May 7th, while asleep with her husband and son, she received a second, and this time fatal, bite from the cobra. In a region where snake bites are common, the family still had a very hard time believing the separate attacks were just a coincidence. When authorities heard the details, they agreed and began investigating, starting with Uthra's husband. The couple had only been married for a couple of years, and to her parents, he seemed more interested in their money than in their daughter. The 27-year-old was known as a wildlife enthusiast, spending hours watching videos of, among other things, snake catching. This may help explain why he seemed comfortable handling the viper Uthra found under the staircase prior to the first bite. A search of his recent online activity showed he was contacting local snake dealers. Also, on the day of the first bite, March 2nd, 
he had withdrawn thousands from their shared account. This, of course, had the police very interested, and so they brought the man in for questioning. In July 2020, two months after Uthra was attacked in her sleep by the cobra, her husband admitted to the crime. He said that on the night of the fatal bite, he gave her sleeping pills, hoping it would keep her asleep as the snake finished the job. Authorities were told that the cobra had been left to starve for almost two full weeks before he dropped it on his sleeping wife. It was kept in a glass jar and was both hungry and angry when it was released. With everything going to plan, her husband was ready to put the snake back in the jar and get rid of the evidence. Understandably, the cobra was having none of it and slithered down the bed and across the room to the safety of the dresser. When the cobra was discovered by the family later that day, it was killed and eventually entered as evidence after undergoing forensic testing. Police later discovered the glass jar used to hold the snake in a storage shed not far from the family's main house. As the investigation continued, more arrests were made, including the husband's father, mother, and sister, when they were found to be hiding evidence, as well as some of the couple's money. They were charged with tampering of evidence and providing false information to police, among other offenses. Authorities also arrested the snake dealer who sold the husband one of the snakes, but they later dropped all charges against him after he agreed to testify. In the end, it all came down to money. Fearing he would lose his wife's dowry if they divorced, he figured staging a snake attack would be easier and would allow him to keep the cash. When the first attempt failed, he decided it wouldn't be suspicious at all to try the same thing again. The Kerala snakebite murder, as it would become known in the media, is probably not the only time a highly venomous snake was used to kill someone, but unless it's carried out by a bumbling idiot like this guy, it could easily get dismissed as wildlife just doing its thing. When animals aren't being used by criminals, there are occasions when they've actually helped put them behind bars. Take the African gray parrot named Bud. His owners, Martin and Glenna Durham, had been married for over a decade and, by all accounts, were a happy couple. They lived in the small community of Sand Lake, Michigan, where 49-year-old Glenna was a full-time caregiver to 46-year-old Martin since a car accident left him disabled over 20 years earlier. The couple were known to enjoy the slot machines every so often, but otherwise they shared a quiet and generally uneventful life. So, when they were found shot multiple times in their home, it came as a shock to the town, especially to those who knew them. When authorities arrived after a neighbor heard the gunshots, they found Glenna in the bedroom with a bullet in her head. Incredibly, she was still alive. Barely. Martin was lying nearby. He had been shot five times and was pronounced dead at the scene. There appeared to have been a struggle, with furniture turned over and other items scattered all over the house. Initially, it looked like it could have been a robbery gone wrong, but with the only witness in critical condition, the details would have to wait. In the meantime, police began their investigation, and what may have seemed like a random act of violence quickly became a lot less random and a lot more sinister. Glenna Durham had taken over most of the household responsibilities over the years, including the couple's finances. But aside from using their disability income to pay the bills, somewhere along the line, Glenna also started playing those slot machines a bit too much. From there, it developed into a full-blown gambling addiction. 
It had become so bad that she had reportedly spent over $75,000 in lottery tickets and slot machines in a single year. By early 2015, the couple had become so in debt they were about to lose their home. However, it seems Glenna never mentioned that anything was wrong to Martin, who remained blissfully unaware of the couple's financial troubles until they received a foreclosure notice. Back at the scene of the crime, police discovered several suicide notes that appeared to be in Glenna's handwriting. While none of the letters specifically admitted to killing her husband, they painted a clear picture of an attempted murder-suicide. Then, authorities found a Ruger Single Six revolver under a nearby couch, presumably the murder weapon. Glenna had become the primary suspect in the investigation, but there wasn't much more to go on, and the case began to stall. When she was finally able to speak to authorities, Glenna denied any wrongdoing and stated that she had no recollection of the night she and Martin were shot. The only thing I remember, he wanted to take me out to dinner. I told him I didn't feel good. I remember getting a shot. I don't know what day it was. I know I had two prescriptions. I don't know if I even picked them up. We were supposed to be going to camp in Memorial this weekend. Police were desperate for a break. Thankfully, that break would come, but not how anyone could have imagined. The couple's parrot, Bud, was actually Martin's from before he and Glenna were married. The bird was known to do a pretty good impression of Martin and would often mimic whatever his owner said. Not long after the violent event, Bud started saying some curious things. It had always been humorous to hear the bird talk, but what he was saying this time was dark and angry. It kept repeating the same words. Shut up. Get your ass over here. And finally, no, don't f***ing shoot. Using both a higher voice and a lower voice, Bud the parrot seemed to be repeating the argument between Martin and Glenna that led up to the shooting. The bird would not stop, and his family invited reporters to hear it for themselves. When video was released almost a year later featuring the bizarre reenactment, not surprisingly, the story went viral. It's a story that has already spread across the globe. New tonight, as the investigation into the year-old murder continues. It's a fascinating story, topping our news here at 5.30. We've been following this bizarre case from the west side of the state uh, for several weeks now, all centered on an African gray parrot. Well, that bird is the only witness to what happened inside a home where a man was shot to death. And tonight, there are new developments. Let's get right over to The media exposure reignited the investigation, which again focused solely on Martin's wife, Glenna. Just three weeks later, she was arrested for first-degree murder and felony weapons charges. In August 2017, Glenna Durham was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. To this day, she has never admitted to the killing. 
While the prosecutor in the case told reporters that the parrot had nothing to do with their decision to pursue the murder conviction, Martin Durham's family believes that Bud deserves at least some of the credit. When asked if he ever considered having the parrot take the stand as a witness, the prosecutor simply asked, How would you swear him in? A wing or a foot? True is a production of Imperative Entertainment. This episode of True was researched and written by me. The executive producer is Jason Hoke of Imperative Entertainment. The cover art and design were created by Jenna Sullivan. True was created and is produced by me. Have any comments or questions? Email us at podcasts at imperativeentertainment.com. As always, a huge thanks for listening. I'll be back next week with another episode. Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.